content warning as we acknowledge sexual assault as a plot point in film. Welcome to T-Smack, home of the T-Smack. May I take your order? Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, comics, and much, much more. I am your host, Josh Scar. Ah, uh, oh, I screwed it up. I was going to make a joke about being an elitist with a snowblower, and now I've, I've ruined it. And it's not like we can edit this out and go do it again. What am I going to do with myself, Alex? I don't know. I mean, there's all that rain to snowblow, you elitist. <laughs> <laughs> Water blower. <laughs> well I, i'm joined by alex my my regular co-host we are recording a couple days before christmas so i'm not going to ask him how his christmas was yet but we are also joined by a third voice as you might have heard it is the godfather of the talking smack podcast it is seven c's caesar from the no on 15 all cast caesar how you doing dude i'm so happy to be back it's been like a while since i've been on the show but i'm, it- I'm, I'm excited it has been too long, man. I looked it up, and I think the last time you were on, it was through the through t- Twitter. I was looking at our messages, and I think it was the Thor Love and Thunder review. Yes. yes. That was nearly 100 episodes ago. How long has that happened? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think, I think, well, this year has been kind of crazy, you know, obviously for me. and Understatement um, of the year. <laughs> yeah, just a, a lot of stuff going on, but yeah, man. You know, I'm I'm always excited and happy to be able to share time with you guys. Yeah, we are definitely happy to have you. And it's this is going to be a fun one. Um, But since we are just ahead of the holidays, do you either of you guys have like a a Christmas or a New Year tradition? Uh, Typically, my wife and I just spend it together. Just our family's a little too far apart. So we like to Christmas Eve, you know, kind of like open a few little things. We go driving around various neighborhoods to just check out. We like to count how many Christmas trees we can see in the windows and look at all the light displays and kind of rate them. And then Christmas morning, we, you know, give each other gifts and we also give gifts to our cats. It's it's our thing. Oh, oh, wait, I can't. We have to watch a Christmas story at least once. The Jim Carrey Christmas, uh, so Christmas, uh, who stole Christmas, and Die Hard. There's a movie missing from that list. I'm sorry, but no Christmas is complete without having watched The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, it's true. What about you, Caesar? What do you do? Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's um, I'm Mexican, so definitely there's tamales involved. We gotta eat tamales whenever Christmas mm-hmm. time is around, and then I try to fit in some staples for the holiday season. I always try to fit in like Christmas Vacation, Christmas Story, Jingle All the Way is is one for me. Uh, as yeah, well. I always try to try to peep. And, Turbo uh, Man, Turbo Man, <laughs> yeah, man. And then um, you know Christmas Day, like lately, I'd say since me and my wife have been married, we always try to make time and, or find a, a Chinese place that's open to have uh, Chinese food that day. So, nice, you know. There you that's go. Kind of our tradition. Ricky and I, we don't have any like traditions. Um, Her birthday is also around the Christmas time. So um, we usually I go more out for that than I do for Christmas, just because at Christmas, I'm very introverted. Like if I could just stay home and not have to go like visit family or anything like that, which my family is all in the area. So I can't do that. But this year (laughs) we got the gift of COVID. So we we are home for the holidays in lockdown. But um, my my holiday traditions are usually just 
got to watch the Muppet Christmas Carol. And uh, if I can find the time, I will make some Swedish pancakes because my dad used to make those for us all the time. We are of Norwegian heritage. So my, my mother-in-law does like to make krumkaka as well. Uh, we also do mm. lefse bread um, for like the my wife's side, Ricky's side. Um, they, they have like a big family gathering for Christmas, uh, usually after the holiday season. But they, they'll ha- they'll go all out with some like traditional Norwegian dishes, Swedish, and including uh, some Swedish meatballs as well. But uh, it's it's a it's a good time to eat, if nothing else, uh, if you are fortunate enough to do so. What are okay? What are Swedish pancakes? I just had to ask real quick. It's just really thin pancake. If you haven't had them, I would strongly recommend them. Either get them, I would say naked. I, I you can get like lingonberries on them and stuff. Um, if you've had uh, crepes, they're relatively mm-hmm. similar, but crepes are a little thicker. Got it. Nice. Cool, man. Sounds good. But yeah, Swedish pancakes. Those are I. I could eat those every day. Just delicious. <laughs> We are here to talk about Rebel Moon from Zack Snyder at King Edgelord himself. But before we do any of that, we are going to hear from some of our favorite work edgelords, uh, J and K over at the Fuck My Work Life podcast. We'll be right back. Working can be such a drag, but it's a necessary evil. What better way to combat the woes of the working world than to commiserate with your fellow man? I'm Jay. And I'm Kay. And we're the hosts of Fuck My Work Life a comedy podcast where we share people's stories from the workplace. Whether they're funny, weird, scary, or just plain messed up, they're always entertaining and may leave you thinking you don't have it so bad after all. Available on all major podcast platforms. Give us a listen. Your sanity may just depend on it. It's true. I mean, sometimes a coworker calls you an elitist for having a snowblower and you just got to punch someone. So, I mean, that's what Jane K are there for. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, they have a dope show. So, Alex, I think I'm going to let you take the lead on this one, because I know this is probably your most anticipated episode of the podcast, uh, especially with it being the last one of the year, which thanks to everyone so much for listening throughout the year. Um, And I hope you had a happy holiday season and I hope you have a happy new year, which I'll reiterate again before we go. But, Alex, feel free to take the reins on this. All right. So this is the newest offering from legendary director Zack Snyder. Edge 19 years ago. (laughs) <laughs> 19 years Allegedly. ago he he gifted us one of the best remakes of all time dawn of the dead that started his relationship with i would say the co-lead of the edge lords james gunn a remake of of course george a. romero's probably best movie dawn of the dead which in the 70s was a kind of a remark upon capitalism was whereas this one was more of a remark on maybe a failed you know, a failed state of America. A few years later, he gave us 300, which gave us all the memes, which is when he first took over as a writer director. He then gifted us Watchmen, which I will say Watchmen is a, was ahead of its time. I think in retrospect, Watchmen may possibly be his best film, but we'll have to digest that a little bit more as we review superhero fatigue going into the next few years. He really stepped out of his comfort zone the next year with Legend of the Guardians, the uh, Owls of Gahul, a CGI kids film. Before shifting Allegedly. to true, before shifting to 
possibly misunderstood sucker punch no, about it's just bad about girls in an insane asylum he just wanted to make a live action anime and no one would let him so he just decided to make a really weird sexy live action anime that was about girls getting lobotomized in a in a sand asylum while also being among his trademarks sexually assaulted and then we had he took over the dc with man nice of steel which i will say does not <laughs> as far as we're aware does not have sexual assault but it is an assault on the senses i mean and depending on your definition with krypton <laughs> i mean cal being a, a natural born the first natural born kryptonian in forever like they could have considered that sexual assault. oh my god I'm I'm stretching for that one. Yeah, my favorite my favorite thing about Man of Steel was saw it in the movie theaters with my best friend, and she was just like, "Okay, that was a lot." And then I watched it at home with my wife months later, and I remember her getting up from the couch, leaving for a little while, coming back and saying, "Oh my god, are they still punching each other through the city?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, this is like 45 minutes, isn't it?" Which then led to him doing batman v superman dawn of justice which was famously called by the co-writer of that script uh david s goyer about 10 years before that came out he said if we do batman versus superman we've officially run out of ideas <laughs> that is a that's an actual quote he said it was the compromise because he wanted to make the dark knight uh the dark knight returns yep which then leads us to 2017's Justice League, which he stepped away from because of some tragedies in his family. Mm-hmm. And then we got his director's cut in 2021, along with Army of the Dead, his, the first of his Netflix films, which, according to Netflix, was a huge hit. And now we have Rebel Moon. Because Netflix would never lie. You know, Netflix, of course not. Netflix doesn't lie. They just want us to pay for people you know, sharing passwords. You forgot one important detail with Rebel Moon is he pitched it to Star Wars. He's like, let's go do Seven yeah. Samurai in the Star Wars universe. It can be its own little corner of the universe, and it, but it'll be a Star Wars thing. And Disney went, no. Well, <laughs> Disney went no because he said it must be rated R. That was one of his conditions. Yeah. Oh my, my God, you're not you're not getting yourself on a great foot here with going into this conversation. I'm I'm building the story, Josh. So after being told by Disney, he went to Netflix, who had already given him a ton of money to create the Army of the Dead universe, which we've had now Army of Thieves, a spinoff story of that. Isn't that an animated prequel? N- no, that no, is actually a live action prequel. Okay, I, th- I thought there was like an animated something that they were working on with that too. There is. Now, Rebel Moon, I really believe he went to Netflix and said, hey, listen, I have this rejected Star Wars script. And he full on went bender bending Rodriguez and said, (laughs) can I make this with hookers and blow? (laughs) And Netflix said, we love hookers and blow. (laughs) With the heat of the Snyder cut that just came out, can we fuck with our own fans here and say, we're going to make them release the Snyder cut of Rebel Moon? And so we have to, you have to release it in theaters as PG-13, but then we'll release it on Netflix and PG-13. And a few months later, you can then release it, the Snyder Cut as R. Then we'll release the second part of your film because you said you had like 190 pages of script. That's way too much, especially when some of the scenes just say action that lasts for 10 <laughs> minutes. And then after action, it says add slow-mo and intermediate portions. It's like, okay. 
So we're going to take a four-hour film, we're going to split it in half, release two parts, then Snyder cut the two parts and do six hours, and we're getting four films for the cost of two. And Snyder said, I like Hookers and Blow, and so we got Rebel Moon. And dear God, what the fuck was this film? (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, there's it's there's a semantics issue with this movie or this franchise for lack of a better word, which we need to get into some of the franchise stuff later as well, Alex, because I know you know more about this than I do. This needs to be referred to as a child of fire, doesn't it? It's not Rebel Moon. The, it, this movie is not called Rebel Moon. It is franchise Rebel Moon colon part one hyphen a child of fire. Yep. So like it, it's a semantics issue, but. Once we get to a second one, we can't call it Rebel Moon anymore because then there is the Scar Giver, which I call franchise infringement on that because that's me. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I got to say something uh, quick. So just really like mm-hmm. this is the first thing I'll say without getting into the good or the bad. Uh, mm-hmm. Rebel Moon to me is what if I'm sorry, Caesar, what? <laughs> I'm I'm teasing you with my semantics. We're not calling it Rebel Moon. What is it called? Okay, that's what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> what if what if characters from Chronicles of Riddick, Starship Troopers, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, John Carter and Dune were at the same party and Star Wars was on in the background? <laughs> Right, and then they decided to play Mass Effect too. And you'd get Rebel, you'd get Rebel Moon, but then you'd be like, your question would be like, who's the DJ at this party? Right? No, no, no. no. I, I think you're really onto something. I think this is the three POs retelling from Return of the Jedi. <laughs> of There's that one Ewok with the the Bieber do in the background with his hair a little too far combed over. And he's just like, oh, man, this this would be so much cooler if this was happening. Oh, my God. You know, and I can't can't front, right? Like, I tell everyone this all the time, like, without getting into – we haven't even got into, like, the specifics of the film. But I feel like Zack Snyder is an amazing cinematographer. Yes. Yes. It, everyone. That's all I'll say. Don't ask me about directing or story or script writing or any of that stuff when it comes to him. You ask me about him shooting a movie, he's great. I, I agree with that. I think he's an amazing cinematographer. He knows how to do these little punctuations and, and touches that are just fantastic. My main issue is that he has the M. Night Shyamalan issue, which is I think if we could separate him from his own script, then the film would be it because Donna Dead 300 Watchmen and the legend of the guardians, those four in a row, he did not write them. Those were somebody else's scripts. Now, mind you, he did add a bit to 300 and he added the part that Josh said is his trademark, the part with the queen getting assaulted, which is that was his addition. Cause he needed to pad its stuff out, which now that you pointed that out, Josh, I can't unsee that every time I think of a fucking Zack Snyder. Thank he you. doesn't know how to create, tension or stakes for women without them being sexually assaulted which yes which is a problem yeah it's it's a huge problem but i think if he was able to get out of his own way and actually just be a director without inserting his own with his own story tropes i think he would be more successful just like m night Shyamalan has 
so many story tropes that he must fit in, including his own cameos, that it worked at first and then fell apart. This movie is so bizarre. I, I can't, I have had to watch it twice now. And I still, I know what I'm giving it for our trademark tacking, uh, talking smack rating. But I don't know what to give it for like my own personal, like if I ran into somebody on the street and they're like, is Zack Snyder's new film any good? Hey, I've been thinking about queuing it up tonight. I would probably say, why are you talking to me? And then I would go, (laughs) and then I would go, uh, got 20 minutes. (laughs) Here's how I would pose this question, because this is what I've been dealing with since watching it. Is this enough to make you go? I want to see what the extended version gives me. I'm almost like, is this enough to make you want to see another part of this? That too. Like, is there, is there enough? uh, Let me, let me just say real quick what I think was the good. And because I got a way more, it's definitely outweighed one side than the other. So I'll say it's got good actors and it's got some solid actors. Just like we mentioned, like I think cinematography is gorgeous because he's great at that. The characters are interesting enough to keep looking at and the worlds and the creatures look cool. Kind of like Neil Blomkenkamp-ish, you know, level cool. Uh, if you've seen some of his films, um, the score is pretty grandiose and the narration is cool. That's what I got for good. That's it. I'm not getting into like specifics of story, uh, character development. Uh, th- those things I think are really important. And I think those things are very scarce. Like there's, and I understand it's a trilogy, right? There, there's more to come. And I guess only, I can only judge from what I've seen so far. Well, right. I, I think that's so. part of the problem here is, um, yeah. and, and I will argue that I think the cast is, it's really well cast. It's, it's full of people who are like, Oh, I know that person. Where do I know that person from? But those are the same people. I I joked with Alex earlier. It's, it's filled with people that you're, you completely forget they exist the minute they're not on camera. I think the only person that I know offhand, the name of from like the main cast uh, is Charlie Hunnam. Even he, his character has like no arc and no depth to him. And the moment they give him depth, they immediately undermine it. They needed to put that scene earlier after like they had done the second recruitment mission, not after the fourth. Mm. And uh, my quick synopsis soundbite of this movie is Zack Snyder went to be fair. I have never seen seven samurai. I apologize to all the movie buffs out there. To me, what this looked like was Zack Snyder went. Yeah. Star Wars, but also mass effect without the suicide mission at the end. So the basic premise of this entire film is Either Seven Savarai, Magnificent Twelve, Unforgiven, basically the Clint, you know Clint Eastwood's last Western. It is the you know the semi-retired hero must put together back their band because they're going to do this one more time kind of thing. And I mean, it, it, it's a story trope for a reason. It, it works. There's so many films you can say that that is what it is, but there's a reason why Star Wars took so many cues from those kind of films, and the reason why they remake those films over and over. The meat of the story is a brief travelogue of putting together this ragtag group. I will say in this film's defense is that of the f- numerous films we've gotten this year, which end on a cliffhanger because a part two is coming. I think this one actually works because we did have a satisfying ending. There was a resolution. The problem is, is that resolution then had four more scenes. Yes. Because from my notes, what I have was, oh, uh, let me see. 
da, 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 da. Oh, this is actually a good spot to die on. Uh, a good spot to end. Okay, so there's another shot. Why does this robot have horns? Oh, wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, we're remaking Demolition Man. Oh, there's the end shot. <laughs> Don't you blaspheme Demolition Man ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so there is, there is resolution. I am curious as to what the second part of this is because as caesar said this is supposed to be a trilogy which i'm now starting to wonder is this a trilogy in four parts because is is if it's this is part one and two but this was a single script is it true is like we're getting one more film after scargiver or are we getting two films split up after scargiver or is this a trilogy in actually six parts alex alex if you have to ask those <laughs> questions you're clearly not smart enough to watch a Zack snyder film that is very true. I apologize to all the Zack Snyder fans. <laughs> I understand if we're not a fan, we cannot judge this film, even though I have defended him numerous times on this podcast. <laughs> like, it kind of, well, I'll just piggybacking on what um, Scar said a little bit ago. Like, I know I said some of the good was the actors are solid, you know? Uh, some of the bad to me is the actors are good and solid, but none of them stand out truly. They don't. Like you said, like, once they're gone, they're... They never mm. feel like they they are in the character. Like there's a scene when they're recruiting Jaiman Hinsu and his character, which uh, we're going full spoilers. I didn't say that up top, but we're going full spoilers here. Uh, in the in the scene where they recruit Jaiman Hinsu, which I don't know if it's appropriately that it's at a gladiator arena. Like that that feels really like, hey, you guys know him from Gladiator. He's yeah, at a gladiator exactly. pit. Yeah. This is where we're recruiting him. There, he's just like in a room on his own. Like he's not a gladiator. It seems like it's like, he's just a drunk in the area and he just happens to be by the gladiator pit. I don't know. They don't bother telling us these things and it's not necessary, but at the same time, it's like, you're telling me he's at the gladiator pit. Why is he at the gladiator pit? Why is he drunk? And he, it's like someone was there in the, in the room, like saying, Hey, it'll, wouldn't it be cool to like get him from like a gladiator stadium? Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> okay. To be, to be fair, they said they had to go on a brief quest to find out where he was. And they did say that he went to this place and he killed anyone who went to go find him. Now, why that involves waking him up with him, not killing them. And then a power washing scene where they literally like blow the caked layers of dirt off of him while he talks about wanting to die. I don't understand that part. (laughs) No, but like, in speaking of the acting and like how no one stands out because like it, it feels like everyone is just reciting the lines like they they have a good understanding of like the yeah. base layer of their character but they're just they're just speaking lines they're they never sound like they are in character and Jaime, yeah. there's in that scene where they're recruiting him and Cora like does this thing where she like takes off her hood and her cloak and she just like gets down like he's supposed to recognize her and then he doesn't recognize her and they just have a conversation and she's just like, get up and die one more time. And he's like, okay. But it's, and it's like, it's Jaiman Hensu. The man is, the man was robbed of an Oscar and miscategorized for an Oscar because racism in the Academy. But like this dude has been acting for forever and he's been in everything. And in this one scene, like I'm, I think this is a pretty well acted scene. I don't think that the acting is a huge downside, but in this one scene, it really feels like you're watching Shakespeare in the park. Like it just does not quite feel right. It feels more like 
a stage performance and they're reciting their lines in a completely different way. Yeah, I, I agree. I think a lot of the dialogue and to me in general, just feels like some of the interactions between the characters is very robotic. You know, it's just like you speaking lines, you're going through the motions. The dialogue serves a purpose. It's, it's to progress them to the next mission in the, the, the recruitment mission. It's not serving any other purpose other than quick backstory motivation to get you to join the team quick action scene to join the team we're now on the team like that's yeah wash rinse repeat like, like five times so just to start off the film it does this anthony hopkins basically story of a good ish and i i'm sorry i'm yeah. sorry for interrupting yes i i where you're going with this it went all over my head if you're gonna do this with an opening narration yeah. You need to do something visually interesting and not yes. do an opening and not do an opening crawl without the crawl. Exactly. Yes. I needed the subtitles. No. Okay. So this is honestly my first thought. So here is actually my first thought on it. Fucking hell. Is this the Grinch who stole Christmas narration immediately? And it was Anthony Hopkins. Good, good poll. Good poll. Was Anthony Hopkins. And it was zooming in kind of like on the, um, uh, on the snowflake and actually all of Whoville's inside of a snowflake and it's adorable. But I'm hearing Anthony Hopkins. I'm like, Oh, and then it's just like a sh random ship floating there. I'm like, I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be meaningful or impactful. And then eventually we go down to see Cora. Poor um, choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> camera floats down to the planet. No, I'm sorry because yeah. you're, you're skipping a very important part. They come from the mother world and oh, where, yes. what do they come out of when they travel through I don't even. Uh, I, don't want, I don't. Yes. I don't. Want to, <laughs> I don't want to call it. A, I don't I want to call it a wormhole. Wormhole sounds awful. I, I was going to say come out of slip space, but that also sounds horrible, given the context. Hyperspace. Their their way hyperspace. to travel. The their way to light speed travel is they come mm. out of vaginas in penis looking spaceships, because they come from the mother yeah. world. Yes. And then we, and then we quote unquote go down, as Alex says. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure my so, buddy Sky would say something different, but yeah, you got it. <laughs> so, Zack Snyder orange because he pulls from the orange color palette. As our hero Cora is plowing a field with the only thing that's <laughs> the only thing that is plowing that field. says this is an alien. Is a horse with like a flat face, like it's wearing a face shield, which I was like, I was that's... trying to figure out what was on that. Like, is that like, is that its face or like, horn head or... I, I don't know. It, it was never very focused. No, they, it was an unfinished product. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta wait for the action figure. Mm -hmm. So then we see Corey Stoll, and I'm like, hey, hey, Corey Stoll. And I have this theory if Corey Stoll is not actually wearing, um, is not actually wearing a piece because he is naturally bald. He dies almost immediately. And you know what? Francis from Deadpool kills him immediately. <laughs> Darth Francis, yes. Oh, my God. There's some weird choices in the film. So they're living kind of this idealist It's a Zack kind Snyder of, film. Of course there are. Yeah. So our hero, Corey Stoll and, and Cora, they're like living this kind of like Amish kind of life where all they do is hang out here in a farm and they're having their end of season harvest. And they're talking about the... They're basically the celebration in the harvest for next season is which uh, many cultures did this. They had some kind of like, you know, joyful, rapturous fertility festival. And this is bizarre. And I don't quite understand it because they never followed up with it. 
she retired. She has kind of like a crush on this guy named Gunner. Dario Naharis. I'm sorry. That's his actual name. My apology. And so retires to the room with this guy who took her in years ago, this older man who she doesn't have a relationship with. And they, she closes the curtain that separates the room, which is not a curtain. It's a like a sheer piece of cloth. <laughs> it's completely transparent. <laughs> and she starts undressing and he's just like, I'll read my book. I'm a good dad. And then the next morning, she's being teased by someone else. Is like, oh, yes, you and Gunnar were together last night. She's like, uh-huh, yeah, sure we weren't. I walked, heard, walked by his room, and I heard all the sounds you guys were making. She's like, okay, sure, yeah, we were totally doing no, that. No, but she she wasn't with Gunnar, though. Was, wasn't she with, like, the other guy? Yeah, she wasn't with him, and they never follow up with that. She was with her not-dad. Yeah. yeah. She went home and went to bed. Like, that, that part, like, why would she not deny that? Like, that seems so weird. Like, even in a world where, let's say that... Is that part of the R cut, maybe? The, the R rated Well, they say it's... sexual promiscuity is not, like, frowned upon in this world. No. Because they're like, hey, we had a good harvest. Go fuck. And, yeah. like, cool. All right. But, like, in, in this situation, she's like, I, I'm not the kind of person who can go be intimate because of who I am. Right. And so that when someone comes up and is like, hey, I heard you banging... Denner, whatever his name is, and she's like, "Okay, why would she be like, okay, yeah, that was me." We just uh, we understand each other or something. She says like to the dad later on. Uh, yeah, we have an understanding. I'm like, okay, that's what we got to wait for the DLC for the director's cut. Yeah. So the uh, so the Nazis show up, which obvious Nazis are odds are obvious. Subtlety is not in Zack Snyder's catalog. And then we get about a ten minute conversation about resources yields bounties excess and i was like this is finally a star wars film i actually totally get how he would have pitched this to him he's like listen there's some really politics here we have some trade negotiations happening we're talking about yields versus costs we're talking about uh, and i'm like this is fantastic i finally feel like i'm back in george lucas's world and then Corey still dies as he needs to because he's bald in this film we get a brief shot of a lightsaber, which made me extremely happy. A lightsaber, in quotes. Yeah, this is the <laughs> stupidest thing ever, because what does literally Francis say when he's like, listen, I want your yield? Well, what would, they ask him, like, what do you want? And he's like, I want everything. I'm like, of course, because there's no subtlety. There's there's absolutely no nuance to the bad guys. There's no understanding that, yes, you can be I'm, – I'm not – I am not for oppression, but I'm just saying like you can oppress people without killing them. <laughs> Instead, you want 10 of their 12 shares of, for, the, for the harvest, and which to which they literally say, we're going to die if we give you this because we eat 10. You want us to eat two. And I'm like, this is obvious Nazis are Nazis. No, that's like, yeah, Ed Screen's villain, Noble. I mean, he's okay for all intents and purposes. But I, I don't think he carries, as an actor, I, even in Deadpool, I, don't, I just don't think he carries enough weight for what they would need, in, I think, that character to be. I feel like a more seasoned actor might have been better in that role. But, you know, that's what they did. That's what they went with. But imagine if it was Neil Patrick Harris from Starship Troopers coming and asking for that. Oh, my God. He's wearing the exact outfit. That's what I'm telling you. It's like, it's, it's the same he's outfit. So, he's so close to hitting that satire marker. <laughs> But he yes. takes himself too seriously. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. He wants it to be more serious than it, it, it's it's capable of being, based on like the way the story works. 
his goons, like when they show up too, the minute they show up, they see a youngish girl and they're like, I'm going to her later. Like pretty much straight up. That is pretty much the dialogue. Yeah. So I have two quick notes about the actors in those scenes. One is, I thought that guy was Michael Shannon for a while. General I did Zod. too. I did too for a split second. He clearly got cast as a Michael Shannon like. But of course, I mean, of course, because Francis is a dick, and he leaves behind his regiment to make sure all the crops are taken and all that crap. Then we have the bad guys, of course, with him must be complete dicks. They start shooting the defenseless robot. And he's like, hey, the robots don't fight back. Let me show you. Shoot, 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 shoot. Damage the ro- Anthony Hopkins robot. I'm like, what is your problem? But then we actually get a scene I like. The robot and the poor, young, innocent woman talk with the robot. And we get a backstory about what the robots are, that they're like this mechanical race that is defending the king for, you know, defends the king and queen. And, and now that the king, uh, the royal family has been slaughtered, they're like purposeless. They are just our travel. About Way better being, movie, by the way, just, yes. just focus on the robots. Yeah, exactly. Way better movie. <laughs> and she makes him like this little laurel that he puts on his head. And he has, and he has these like alternate lights that pop up underneath the face that start shining. It's, like, it's almost like he's blushing or like yes. he's, he's emoting and it, it's really powerful. Like it's good yes. stuff. That's like Neil Blomkamp movies. I'm telling you, man, that's like, that's why I mentioned like to, you know, like to Caesar's point, give me, give me Jimmy's story voiced yeah. wonderfully by Anthony Hopkins. And like the mocap for that is fantastic. Like the design mm-hmm. works. And the the mocap looks good. It's not in the uncanny valley. No, it's fantastic. Then, of course, what what sparks the journey, which, I mean, we can skip over most of that journey because it is literally just getting the band back together. So there's one thing I have to get into real quick, because before when they start the journey, they they have to get to a bar. They have to get to a cantina because they have to do a cantina scene Mm -hmm. and they have to find an informant who's going to take them to uh, the rebellion. Right. And uh, I'm crediting here the the Templin Institute on Twitter. Uh, it's templin.edu, I believe, is their Twitter handle. <laughs> they tweeted out, it's a three-part tweet. My favorite nonsensical part of Rebel Moon, Child of Fire, is when the bounty hunters capture the one person that the heroes need to talk to. And instead of murdering the bounty hunters to save the guy, which is how every other problem is solved, they give up and just head into the bar. Yup. <laughs> they specifically identify the bounty hunters are working for the Imperium. They need to talk to this guy because he knows where the resistance is. Later, they're completely blindsided when the guy captured by the bounty hunters tells the Imperium where the resistance is. Every problem before this and every problem after is solved through murder. Random fights break out constantly, but the only time in which violence actually aligns with the goals is they are suddenly out of all their ideas. <laughs> Like I get that there's the movie needs to happen and that's their reason for it. But like there's two guys in a weird scorpion robot walking the informant away. Mm-hmm. They Cora isn't skilled enough after having taken out five of nine Nazis on her own hand to hand combat with like three of them. She can't right. take out two bounty hunters and a scorpion robot that I, I just have to interject real quick. And that's, that's one of my, you know, bads of this movie is there's just a lot of items that aren't explained, you know, like technology, like some of the characters, mythology, 
I guess we're, we're expected to, I guess, as sci-fi fans, to just kind of put two and two together and figure it out. And I know we'll get some of those answers, obviously, as the story progresses. Again, taking into account that there's more parts of this coming. But I feel like that's kind of like a big glaring hole with this film. Yeah, but to be to be fair to it though, most of Star Wars they don't explain their technology or anything like that. It's just there's a you know a robot shows up, that thing's going to torture you. Lightsabers, they do show don't tell really well though because like yes, you see the one robot and then he drops some hot irons on another robot's feet and you're like okay he's torturing him, which is weird because how does a robot have feelings? But I mean they can have emotions. But I mean, like when they walk into the bar, they don't, you know, uh, the cantina scene in, in, in A New Hope, they don't explain who all the creatures are or anything other than, you know, Chewbacca, he's a Wookiee, blah, blah, I actually liked, for the most part, the bar scene because I found the creatures within there interesting. Like the bartender has like wax candles for like palindromes on his shoulders that are like melting or something like that. That's a really interesting design of like what that there. And I really love that. Um, I think it's my opinion. It's a mind devourer from D and D that brain creature that had that person's like grapple to speak to them and give them this information. As soon as the fight breaks out, he releases and runs because he's a little brain. I thought that was great. There are wonderful little world building details that I was like, this is a world that seems to be organic. That seems to have things that work. The problem is, is all I could think about was cool. We're in the cantina. Ah, okay. King Arthur. That's our uh, that's our hand solo. And of course, he has a cool looking boat. <laughs> well, sorry, it's a ship. It obviously looks like some kind of brigadoon from like 17th century. And it's a it's a hunk of junk. Uh, of course it is. Like heavy hauler kind of ship as well. So, it, like, oh, yeah, it's the, it's their version of the Millennium Falcon. Just not as iconic looking. Exactly. But he, he's Han Solo without the dog, by the way, or the Chewbacca. <laughs> so it's I just think it's very busy. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, like it's a lot. incredibly there's, busy. There's like. There's a lot going on, and like, obviously, we're we are a little bit more cinephiles, and like your average viewer, I think, might be confused, just because there's so much happening, like in the in a shot, like even when they when we go if we go back a little bit further, when Noble's character first gets to the village, and you see like there's these, for lack of a better word, Imperial Guard around him, uh, like Star Wars style, wearing red. Uh, with masks on and you're just like okay who are these characters uh you know all, all these things kind of put together and then they just all kind of come converge in a scene and i think the average viewer might be a little confused by that like we can kind of figure it out and understand what it is but i completely yeah. agree with you yeah and alex to your point about the cantina scene i think from a creature standpoint yes there there are some very interesting creatures in the cantina but the the actual setting of the cantina is very bland. It's it's yes. very color by numbers. And yep. I made a joke about this early on. And uh, like I I was thinking about like maybe I'll just message you every thought that I have while watching the movie. <laughs> but I'm like, no, I'm going to give it a fair shake. I'm not going to like I'm not going to come in hater aid and just do whatever. But one of the last things I messaged you before I like put my phone away and was like, OK, let's let's try to take this seriously. The Amish village that Cora lives from or lives it with in. Uh, that Darth Francis comes and takes over. It has like a Norwegian aesthetic or a Nordic aesthetic, but it also has like a lot of the futuristic stuff. So it's got like the the sliding doors and everything. And there's just something really off-putting about Norwegian aesthetics with futuristic technology. <laughs> like it, it needed to be updated a little bit or just like they're Amish. They don't have power doors. They can, They just have regular doors with locks. 
Mm-hmm. Like go one or the other. You can't have both in my opinion. Yeah. That doesn't work for me. Also, what doesn't work for me is not Matthew McConaughey, one of the people they pick up. Uh shirtless token shirtless guy with the uh who tames the uh who tames the owl. Oh, token Native American prince who tames the hippogriff? Yes. I thought he was Native American too. The first two times I saw him, I was like the way the facial it's it's the angular uh the the angular uh cheeks and stuff. I was like is this Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> no, it's not Matthew McConaughey because it kind of reminded me of his look from um, uh, How to Lose a Date in Ten Days or whatever that movie is. How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Because you kind of you've really like kind of like the, the the facial structure reminded me of that. So then we got our Avatar moment there, and I'm like, this is just not working for me because this guy he he's being he's chained to work there like for like three hundred thousand space credits or whatever it is. But if he tames this creature, if he tames Buckbeak, yeah, yeah, he gets free. If he doesn't, they're all enslaved, including you know Korra and the, the Motley crew. Yeah, it's kind of that person wants to be Watto, but that person's not Watto, <laughs> and that is yeah. for as beautiful as some moments in, in this movie are, and as fun as some moments are. This is such a discount star. <laughs> well, it's, dis- it's disjointed because of that, you know. Yeah, it's disjointed. Because you go grandiose, epic, and then you get these tiny moments that are meant to be intimate, but they're not really that intimate. Yeah, and, and that's that's a great great word to use in this moment because if if we're taking like Korra as our main character, our Luke Skywalker, our Rey, whoever, uh, Anakin, whatever you want to call her, she's been emotionally stunted because of her experiences as having previously been an Imperium soldier and a bodyguard to the princess who was assassinated. And there's this beautiful shot. Like I 1000% credit for the shot of her reaching up and touching the wing as Buckbeak passes over. It's a great shot. And it's like, a, it could have been a really great character moment if it was framed properly where like in the sequence of native American Prince dude trying to break this creature into letting him ride it. You see her like go from stoic to like concerned to joyful mm-hmm. and she's like feeling emotions again. And then she reaches up and touches the wing. Like that could have been a really powerful moment, especially with the Zack Snyder's slow motion when she actually reaches up and touches it. And it's, it's a two second shot that lasts for 15 seconds because of the slow motion. That could have been a, a really powerful character moment. If you shot it and presented it properly instead of like, Oh, that's the Zack Snyder shot. Like yeah. it looks great, but it, it it serves no extra purpose to the scene other than like, hey, look at this pretty shot. See, that was a gorgeous shot. Like when it went over, I was I was actually looking for that detail because there are moments where Buckbeak looked really good, and there's moments where Buckbeak looked kind of really off. But seriously, just the hand up and the way the feathers ruffled over her as it flew over they, her fingers. They oh. crushed the texture. The texture oh, yeah. of that creature looked amazing. Like I wanted to pet yeah. it. Like you, there's right. a shot after like. They do the the leap of faith, and he gets his hands underneath some of the feather, feathers and the fur. And I'm like, I want to touch that animal. I want to pet it. That's a good yeah. boy right there. I want to pet him. So, I have a question for you guys about the backstory. About because there's three or four backstory moments with Cora. I, I do. She gets Gamora's backstory, which is that her people get taken over and massacred, and some psychopathic person picks her up, uh, who is now the head of the military because of the because of the death of the good king queen, and 
Thich and the princess who is supposed to bring the, what do they call her, the embracer or something like that? She's supposed to bring peace to the universe. She's a, a life giver or something. Like it, it's the opposite of the scar giver. Right. She gets picked up, taken into the military. She joins the military. She gets adopted by the, the psychopath. And I found it, I did find it interesting when they talked about her indoctrination about how once you reach a certain age, to keep your basically ties to the military strong, you're paired off. And she had a lover, mm-hmm. and the lover died, and that's part of the and broke her heart and stuff. And the the princess who she's assigned to get uh, is murdered. I found all those backstory moments way more intriguing than her current resolution to start going against them. I I want to know how that works because we have sudden uh, Carrie L's. Which was like, okay, is that Carrie Ells? That is Carrie Ells. Carrie Ells apparently the king. He has a daughter, and mm-hmm. she is trusting this. Did the military go bad before or after the death of the king? I assumed it was after because of a power vacuum. Oh, yeah, but she is so shown slaughtering a ton of people. And she was like, as I was rising through the ranks, and eventually they gave me the command of my own army, and I'm murdering all these people. And then I, be- I swear she said I murdered all the people, and then I became the princess's protector. Better movie. <laughs> Again, <True>. good backstory. <laughs> yeah, I, I. To be fair, um, we tease this a little bit, but like the backstory is not Zack Snyder's at all. The yeah, this like bare bones story that we got of assembling a team to take out a seg seg segment of this empire uh, just because they invaded someone's adopted home world is the story that Zack Snyder had. Like it, and then they hired uh, Netflix hired a tabletop gaming company to build out the lore. And if I remember correctly, at some point they were doing testing at Comic Cons, mm-hmm. and Netflix went, "No, you can't." Despite the fact that you have already done this, we're saying you've breached contract and you're fired, and we're taking all your stuff. Yeah, companies, evil genius games. They were making the RPG for it. They've done RPGs of like Escape from New York, The Crow, Kong Island, Pacific Rim, Highlander, Total Recall. This is kind of like their bread and butter is taking a cinematic world and then adding and then, you know, grafting a rules onto it for tabletop play. And part of the discovery of the lawsuit is that they said they got the scripts and they talked with, they talked with the production team and because you can't just say, "Hey, look, Planet Three and Planet, you know, and this or like this, cre- oh, yeah, this weird-looking creature," they had to basically do what basically do what was done for Star Wars, and that names, backstories, races, you know, uh, uh, species branch it all out as to how it works. Because if you're going to play, you, if you just don't want to play a token human, you want to play uh, the robot, Anthony, you know, Anthony Hopkins robot character. You have to have stats. You have to have mechanics for it. If you want to play. If you want to play the mind devourer, you have to have so. So, according to the lawsuit, they're saying they came up with basically the backstory and the Bible for how the world functions, and a lot and some of the scripting was done was adjusted for that, so that you didn't have a schism between what you're playing on the tabletop and what you're getting seen in the film. And the tabletop was supposed to come out in like November ish, which is why they were testing at some comic cons, and then Netflix pulled it tanked it and kept the pro- the property which is where the lawsuit comes in is the intellectual property the property of evil mind games which some of them do get to own that depending on the agreements or is it the ownership of netflix 
and frankly, I am way more interested in the backstory of this world for an RPG <laughs> than I am in part two right now. Getting into the the finale here, we have a betrayal because Zack Snyder loves a Judas, among other things. Um, we haven't even talked about uh, really Jimmy all that much either. The uh, the robot because um, he plays a big part in the tease at the end here. But Alex, you had mentioned earlier that the movie ends and then there's like five extra scenes, one very long scene where Francis uh, has a, a Loki with the other scene um, where like mentally he's uploaded into a place and they have a conversation that leaves him like Captain feeling Marvel. some pain. <laughs> there you go. So like with that scene, I was annoyed because again, if we're making a star Wars comparison, since this is Zack Snyder's star Wars, star Wars ends with Vader just flying off into space after getting knocked around, like by maybe see you never again. And in this Francis falls to his death, presumably never to be seen again. Yeah. And then the movie keeps going and Francis comes back and we're like, Oh, he's a, he's a Darth Vader. He's a robot. And now he's resurrected and blah. And we get a, we get an, a Vader origin scene as well from episode three. That's not needed from the context among other things. But how much better would it have been to to do a, a two towers where we see Gandalf fall or in this case, we see Darth Francis fall and then we see his resurrection and his conversation with their version of Darth Sidious, Darth Borealis or whatever. <laughs> it made me think of Gentleman Bronco. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie. Uh, no. Will you add an Aeus to the end of the villain? Uh, <laughs> Aurora Borealis. Yeah. Uh, so like how much better would it have been to be like, oh, shit, he's he is alive and he is a cyborg. He is a robot of some kind like that explains a lot. He that that would also explain why he smokes weird and does hentai stuff <laughs> like he's he's trying to feel <laughs> he 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 had a hentai he monster. He did. Uh, d- and in the director's cut, we are going to see that in its entirety. And I can promise you there are there are four scenes in this movie where Ed Screen, Darth Francis, is completely naked. I can promise you I will put a talking smack guarantee on this. In at least one of those four scenes, you will see Darth Francis dong. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, is another reason why I may not go back to the extended cut. <laughs> Get it extended. Uh huh. <laughs> well played, Caesar. <laughs> Sorry. So, the original ending is they've recruited the group. They have uh, this motley crew together, and Han Solo inevitably betrays betrays them because that was set up a long time ago, and they were stupid to trust him. He's bad, Han Solo, because he doesn't have his dog. If he had, if Han Solo had a dog, he would be fine. So yeah. it's more like Lando on Cloud City, guys. That's true. There you go. Oh, and they were betrayed on the landing pad. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get to do the three amigos ending because they end up doing the Cloud City ending. Facts. And it ends with this weird moment. Like one of them says, I never did trust that pilot. And then Cora says, We owe him thanks. He saved us. What the hell does that mean? I don't fucking know. And. The DLC will answer that question, I'm sure. <laughs> the DLC. The, but before we get into that, too, like I had mentioned earlier, 
there's a scene before this where Korra and not Han Solo Lando have a heart to heart where he's like, you swayed me, girly, and I'm going to join you because I'm so rootin' tootin' nice, aren't I? And but first, I got to do one quick stop and pay off Jabba the Hutt. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, OK, they're going to do Return of the Return of the Jedi in all this to round out the ending. OK, whatever. And like, I will give them credit. They did get me. I didn't think he was going full heel turn. Like, I, I thought it was weird that he was going nice, but I'm like, it's Zack Snyder. He doesn't do nuance. <laughs> so but I, I was thinking the entire time that this needed to be after they recruited Jaiman Hinsu or maybe yeah. after Nemesis, not not after they they've recruited four other people. And now they're just doing one last drop off for him. Real quick, got to say that they're criminally underused Charlie Hunnam and Ray, Ray uh, Fisher. There you go. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Ray, Ray Fisher needed more. Like those are the only two people that had charisma with their roles. I feel like um, Gunner, is that the the not love interests name? The Luke Skywalker of the story? Yep. Yeah, he, he's Luke because he's the farm boy. Dario Naharis from Game of Thrones. If anyone watching this movie is like, I know that person from somewhere. Where do I know that? that that's everyone in the cast. But that's where you know him from. If, if you do that scene, lay the seeds, pun intended, with this being farming, <coughs> and you lay those seeds of him like doing this out of some kind of change of heart that he's had because we meet him and he's like, Oh, I'm an opportunist, blah, blah, blah. But now like he's had a couple of missions with these people and he's like, yeah, they're cool. I like them. But then we find out, no, he's actually a bastard. I think that's better instead of him being like, we've gone on all these adventures together. I think we're cool now. Can we go do this one real quick thing? Because now I'm changing the subject and I'm not being suspicious at all. (laughs) So that ending was something and then we get them like riding the not horses back to the original village of like okay we're gonna do our stand here and that would have been a great ending we have antler jimmy the robot who stands up in the middle of a cornfield did anyone else find reindeer jimmy really funny yes like i i saw him creep up and I really, my brain just went, I want the Peter Griffin giggle right here. It, it's very awkward. <laughs> I'm a reindeer. Like, <laughs> like, it's, it's so like weird. It's, it's like, it's supposed it's to be weird. foreboding. And like, what happened to this guy that he's now hunting animals? Because his whole, his whole thing is that he, he doesn't, he doesn't battle or kill anymore because reasons. And uh, now he, he's killed because he was protecting that girl from getting and like good jimmy better movie jimmy (laughs) yeah i don't know man it's very weird because it's almost like is it supposed to be a crown like is he going back to royalty now i don't know but like i i I just i want someone to make a tiktok or just like a really quick clip and email it to us tsmackpot at gmail.com where it's just jimmy rising up and the peter griffin giggle (laughs) and that's it that's all i want (laughs) I, I am really hoping that Jimmy and the farm girl like get together <laughs> because that scene with them with the blushy thing was so cute. The unlocking the humanity. It was better lovely. movie. I will yes. watch a rom-com with Jimmy and flower girl. <laughs> totally. <laughs> would be good. I'm all in for rom-coms. Uh, so Josh, what is your rating on this? Our trademark rating. Is it must see or <laughs> pass because it's a garbage fire? I can't say that I I could recommend this version 
Mm-hmm. And to to my question earlier, is this enough to make me go, will you watch the director's cut? Will you get the DLC? I still don't know. So I'm going to say it's a pass because I can't answer that question, which means I, I can't say yes. What about you, Seven Seas? I'll just say this. In all in all, my best comparison, I would say to this, it reminds me of like a weird sci-fi cousin of Chronicles of Riddick. Yes. Not as much action. And maybe that's just because it's the first entry in a planned, you know, story arc of their trilogy or, you know, uh, four movies. Who knows? It's pretty to look at at -hmm. times. It's not great. Uh, It's a must see if it's on like to sell TVs at Best Buy. (laughs) That's 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 the Zack Snyder movie. That's what it's for. Like to show you the colors pop on an expensive, uh, you know. Q LED TV, but it, I don't. I wouldn't say there are know. a couple CGI created scenes where I would say don't like make a make a a retailer cut that gets rid of those because there's like that one shot yeah. when uh, they're like refueling somewhere and like that looks like something out of a, a mid two thousands space <laughs> show on Nickelodeon. But yeah, I, I would say it's it's a pass unless you're like a diehard Snyder fan. And you definitely you're you're not listening to this and you're watching it. Already. In which case, they're doxing this entire podcast already. Yes. <laughs> so on my second rewatch, I realized because originally I was going to come in here hot and like you know try to falsely defend everything because I like to be contrary and piss off Josh sometimes. Allegedly, yeah. I will say that for me, this is a pass because I have something very specific, and it is. Thank you, Josh, for reminding me. It is related to role playing games. We finally got a beautiful looking drider from D&D. A drider is basically a half woman, uh, half spider creature, which was played by Jenna Malone. And I thought that scene was gorgeous. I was excited for the scene because I'm like, oh my gosh, the Dungeons and Dragons movies haven't given us one because they're probably never going to do the drow. And we, we got a we got a drider here or an avatar of Lolf, depending on which kind of you know, version you want to go with. And she is talking about these things, which are great world building, talking about how her children's egg sacs can't uh, mature because you guys have moved here and are poisoning the world. And so I'm stealing this child to keep it with me. And of course, we get the token fight. King Edgelord is totally going to have those kids being milked (laughs) on her teeth (laughs) in the director's cut. I'm sorry. There's going to be a weird real quick like throw a line of like she's been mutating our children into her yeah. own by feeding them breast milk well like i said it is the year of milking we have ninja turtles being milked we have giraffes being milked and willy wonka so <laughs> why not spiders that fight uh, between the two of them were the were nemesis uh donna bay and jenna malone fight is one of the worst things because you have a spider with eight legs two minor front pinchers, two actual human arms, and you don't utilize any of them. You don't utilize the movement of them on the walls. You don't do some webbing. You don't actually, you just let your legs be chopped off over and over. You pick her, you pick up Nemesis by her throat, dangling in front of you with a spear in one hand. You don't actually utilize like the lower pinchers, like maybe grab the legs, inject some poison, like uh, hold her like, um, uh, hold her like rack style, so she can't move. You don't u- utilize the functions, which is annoying because if you actually look at D&D rules for how to run a drider, they have their attacks. They have their leg attacks. They have spit and they have webbing. They have spell attacks. They have the 
they have throw attacks. They have things that actually utilize the form and function of what it is to be half spider, half person. But they don't have a, a psychiatrist to deal with their sadness. Exactly. <laughs> they, they just have their legs get cut and then cut and then and then laser sorted. And I'm like, and that is why I'm sad, Josh. And that is why it's a pass. Because if you if you give me a damn writer, but he's literally just ripping it off from Star Wars, and you give me a sorrowful backstory about how its egg sacs are being you know are being corrupted by the humanity, and then you murder the spider, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah making jenna malone a weird weirdly sexy spider creature was a choice like, i don't i don't even i don't know oh no that's just I, straight I, from D D. The, the yeah the the drow are sexy <laughs> okay i mean i i it, it's not for me but i'm not i'm not gonna king shame anyone <laughs> i i do kind of like that they they did take the star wars trope of it's a creature it must die kind of thing where if it's any kind of creature that's somewhat aggressive, it it will be killed by someone. And in this one, they they made it a little sentient and was like, I'm only trying to defend my home. I'm trying to, you know, have kids and be happy. You guys are the ones poisoning my planet. But yeah, I'm the bad guy here. Now I'm dead. And like, I like that Nemesis uh, was at least sad. And while people were cheering that she saved the child, she's like, this is nothing to celebrate. I like that. She has remorse for her action. She understands that there is a ripple effect to what's happening, but she's doing it because she has some kind of moral compass and still the creature must die. I, I can only say I agree. It was good world building that ultimately didn't really lead to anywhere, but at least the laser swords look cool. Yeah. And I, I feel like if this movie just was a movie, it wasn't trying to set up a franchise. It wasn't going like, here's the next part. I think it would have been a lot better and I, or at least it would have been better received and it it would have had a different viewing experience because now you're just trying to like find the breadcrumbs, like what's going to be picked up in, in part two and among other things going on with this movie, I was thinking about it this morning and a lot of it is very forgettable because I was trying to think of like, why the hell didn't they get to the three amigos ending? They need to defend the town. They have their team. But what? why didn't they do the Three Amigos? And I completely spaced that they had done the boss fight previously because of how much more movie there was at the end, tagging going into the next movie. And I just... I feel like you could have done the satisfactory ending of doing the, the Three Amigos, the Tombstone ending, whatever you want to call it, where they defend the town. And everyone's like, yeah, rebellion, and it's like a big celebration. Which, again, Star Wars ends in a celebration. But instead, we get this completely unrelated location where they are betrayed by Charlie Hunnam's not Han Solo Lando character. And it's just this heartless boss fight that is taking place in like so many different spaces that it's like, how are five people taking on an entire armada of the Imperium, let alone like how is Korra taking on darth francis hand to hand without any real issue like why did we need to assemble the team if she can just take out darth francis and then the ship just gets returned like why was that not her original plan like it there's some there's a lot of little things that poke holes in the story that make it not as enjoyable because they're too busy world building and setting seeds up for the next thing yeah which that the princess is 100 percent still alive oh I can promise yes. you that 
They showed her with heal was force healing powers. She's alive. Yeah, I agree. No, I think I think all that is like very on, like spot on. It's just there's a lot of holes, and and then there's a lot of preoccupation with building worlds, like you just said. You know, it's like more of a focus than um, what's actually taking place in front of you. You know, it's like Zack Snyder went. Wouldn't it be cool if this if there was this world? Wouldn't it be cool if there was this thing? What can we do to create an environment around that within a reasonable budget? Because like a lot of this is shot on like a lot of the planet stuff is shot on real locations, mm-hmm. but it all looks the same too. Like yeah, there there's not a water world. There's not this. There's not there's not any uh, a Tatooine or anything like that. They like they all look kind of the same. They're just even maybe even on the same world they're just in different regions so like there there is a a unique factor that's missing from this as well besides just the aesthetic of how the movie is shot right but with that i think it's time to wrap up Uh, my throat's starting to go um We got Christmas things to start winding down here, but to everyone listening, I hope you had a happy Christmas. If you celebrate and any other holidays that may be out there, I hope you had a wonderful holiday season, spent time with loved ones, spent time getting yourself mentally healthy. And I hope the new year brings that to you as well. Uh, Caesar, do you want to plug your podcast and your social medias? Sure, man. Um, I am seven C's from the Noir 15 all cast. You can find us across all social medias, you know, uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, all that good stuff. Uh, find us wherever you listen to your pods. And yeah, we're almost wrapping up too. We got like one episode left, I think, in our season. And uh, it'll be the season finale. And then we'll be back with season five next year. That's it. Man. Alex, plug our Discord. We have a Discord. It's tsmackpod at gmail.com, or you can click the link below. Please join us for. Any conversation we'd like to have. And if you are a Zack Snyder fanboy and believe we got it completely wrong, please join and just completely destroy us with all our with all your nuanced arguments about how we don't understand. A lot of people liked it. I just don't yeah. know why. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bots are people too, man. Just look at Jimmy. <laughs> Facts. You can follow us on all the social media platforms at Talking Smack Pod on Blue Sky, Instagram, Threads, Hive Social, Post News, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and of course Lonnie's website, the aforementioned Twitter. You can email us your thoughts, questions, reviews, comments, concerns, your hate, your your threats to dox us if you are a, a Snyder cultist at tsmackpod at gmail.com. <laughs> Thank you to Leo Allen for our musical themes and Beppo for our original avatars, Retro Ale Studios for our Ricky avatar. Please like, subscribe, rate, review on your podcatcher of choice. And most importantly, thank you again, everyone, for listening. Have a happy new year. We will see you in 2024. Caesar, thank you again. Alex, happy, have a happy Christmas. Caesar, you Me have too. a happy Christmas, too. I'm not going to. You too, man. Gonna... Merry Christmas, guys. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And oh, yeah. Good stuff. Happy New Year. And Caesar, do you want to send us out with a watch Star Trek? Watch Star Trek. Now, I have I, I didn't realize something about the last fight between uh, Francis and Cora. That's Goldeneye. I had that same thought. <laughs> I had the same thought. He's dead. He's not. <laughs> <laughs>
Who loves T Smack? I love T Smack. Is it true? Mm-hmm. I do, I do. Ooh. Rage! Rage! <laughs>